I was 11 years old and I did it. While I was on a trip out to visit my aunt and uncle in Florida, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And when I returned home to Oregon, I was baptized. I was excited. I don't know if I would have put it in these words at the time, but in essence, I recognized that I was committing to and putting on a new identity as a child of God and a follower of Jesus. I even realized at 11 years old that it was my mission to go out and spread the good news about him to others. Little did I know at the time that that identity would be challenged over and over again by the temptations of this world. That that identity would be challenged and even masked by other identities. That I would face the temptation of self-gratification. That I would try to justify and protect false identities that did not align with who I was in Jesus Christ. And that I would face the ultimate temptation of pride and arrogance and selfishness to somehow prove that I was better than everyone else around me just for the glory of self. And I have to admit that many times along the way, I've failed. I've fallen into temptations and I've clung to identities that did not align with my God-given purpose. We all have a shift or change in identity from time to time. Sometimes that happens internally, and sometimes that's made public. For example, maybe going from a student identity to a career identity. We hear it all the time. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm a contractor, I'm a businessman, maybe I'm unemployed, I'm rich, I'm poor. We see it within families, maybe going from single to married, or married to divorced, or maybe becoming a parent for the first time, or an aunt, or uncle, or even a grandparent. We can see identities that are unhelpful, or maybe some that are just downright destructive, like I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict. And not all identities are bad, but do they align with our God-given identity, or is it something that we're just holding on to? hoping for a false sense of security. How we see ourselves and what we identify with will have a drastic impact on how we treat and interact with others, our attitude, how we go about our work and our day, how we celebrate, how we mourn, how we grieve, how we handle problems and challenges that come our way, and even something like how we handle our finances. Hi, my name is David Bessenbacher. Uh, great to be here with you today. We gather together as Christ followers, and we identify as the church. And when we get together, we celebrate Jesus. Today, we're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be opening up to God, uh, Matthew chapters 3 and 4. And we're going to see Jesus baptized, identified as the Son of God, and then immediately tested and tempted to his very claim to that identity. Let's pray. Most kind Heavenly Father, uh, we are just so grateful to be gathered here together in your name. And we identify as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And if there's any identities in us that are unfruitful and unhelpful, we just ask that we shed those off today. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, 
I just ask that their heart and mind is open to how much you love them and that they could find their true identity today in you. Pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Ben has uh, been reminding us that often we read over words we're familiar with. Sometimes that can cause us to glaze over. So as we're looking into Matthew today, let's try to put on a fresh set of eyes and ears and perspective and see what maybe Matthew uh, was trying to reveal to us in his gospel account. And if you remember where we left off in our Matthew series, John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness of Judea. He's preaching a message of repentance. And people from all over are coming to hear him and confess their sin and be baptized. And then we see an early run-in with the Pharisees. And now, for the first time, Jesus, as a fully grown human adult, steps onto the scene to embrace his mission ahead. So if you have a Bible or a device with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. And we'll be starting in verse 13. You can also follow along on the screen up here. And we'll just be reading through uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So John, or sorry, Jesus steps into the scene where his famous cousin, John the Immerser, is ministering and baptizing. And Jesus is about to go public with his identity. And so John recognizes him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And because John recognized him, he said, he tries to stop him. He says, I need to be baptized of you. Why are you coming to me? And Jesus says, let it be for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented and baptized Jesus. 
Okay, some questions we might have. What does that mean? Because if Jesus is sinless, why is he submitting to John's baptism of repentance? Well, we have a handoff moment from Israel's ancient prophets like Elijah that John represents, and then a new covenant that's being prepared and brought by Jesus. So a closing or fulfillment of the first covenant, and then a new covenant being prepared in Jesus' blood. And then remember, Matthew is also highlighting Jesus' kingship and messianic role as it pertains to those first covenant promises. And when Jesus comes up out of the water and the heavens are opened up, the Spirit of God is coming and resting on him like a dove. And so there's this anointing and then a public confirmation from a voice from heaven. I'm just going to take an educated guess and say that that voice is God, because what he says next is, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. A statement that we're going to see again show up in the transfiguration moment in Matthew 17. So Jesus submitted to John's baptism to fulfill all that God required and what was spoke of by the first covenant prophets. Isaiah tells us of the suffering servant that will bear the inequities of the people. In Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah says this, He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Though Jesus had no sin, in this moment, he's identifying with sinners and he's empathizing with all of humanity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus obeys the Father and takes his role just as Isaiah prophesies that the Spirit of the Lord would anoint the Messiah to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. From the Apostle John's Gospel, we see John the Baptist point out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And then a dove coming to rest on Jesus as the Spirit anointing him. Maybe you didn't catch this in a first read-over glance, but those would have been two readily recognized animals that were used as a sin offering for the people in the Law of Moses. So again, the gospel writers connecting first covenant imagery and then preparing the readers for Jesus to be a sin offering for all people. Jesus was being set apart and identified in a unique way as he begins his public ministry at his baptism. A commenter, David Platt, wrote in his Matthew commentary, the son obeys, the spirit anoints, and in verse 17, the Father speaks. In this verse, we get an unobstructed glimpse into the perspective of the Father and the Son. What a scene. Then if we were watching a movie, here's where you'd cue up the dark, ominous music as Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted or tested. After this incredible event of Jesus being immersed by John and then publicly identified as the Son of God, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. 
Does that bug you? Well, this is an iconic moment in Christian tradition. And it's placed early in three of the four gospel accounts as a key moment. Now notice Jesus is off alone. He's not interacting with others. So he must have shared this experience with his disciples at some point. What was he trying to get them to see and understand? What was Matthew wanting us to see and understand as he included this in his gospel account? Well, the wilderness area is some 600 square miles, and it's not very far from Jerusalem. And over history, it was used as kind of a place for rebels and zealous to hide out. Maybe it was a good place to go if you just wanted a place of solitude. And so Jesus is out there for 40 days and 40 nights without food. And Matthew made sure to let us know that he was hungry, uh, which I would have guessed being out there for 40 days. But, uh, but does that number 40 strike you as important? Have you heard that somewhere before? Well, Matthew is connecting Jesus as the new Moses. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project put it this way. Like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt. He passed through the waters of baptism and he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his new teaching. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promise greater than Moses' figure. Look what even Moses says in Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. See if you notice any connections or similarities. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Are you seeing any similarities or connections? How did Israel do with the test? How would you do with the test? Jesus came to do what we and Israel couldn't do as king and representative. Jesus is tested in three different scenarios by one called the devil or the tempter. Enter the age-old adversary, Satan. And if your mind automatically had an image of somebody in red tights, a cape, pitchfork, and some horns, or the recent uh, performance of Unholy at the Grammys, these are depictions of spiritual beings not found in Scripture. Those distortions are found over centuries of medieval artwork and literature like Milton and Dante. Uh, C.S. Lewis kind of makes a point of this in his book, The Screwtape Letters, where there's this kind of fictional uh, conversation going on with these two demons, and um, they're trying to take this human subject and keep them from having a real relationship with God. And the conversation comes up about their existence. And so in chapter 7 of that book, Screwtape Letters, the conversation's kind of going like this. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you 
If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in its mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Evil is presented in the Bible as a creature in rebellion trying to get us to doubt our true identity as made in the image of God. It tries to lead us to sin, to death, both spiritual and physical. It's mysterious, but Jesus is the one to deal with it. Part of Jesus' role in his identity was to come to confront, battle, and conquer the dark spiritual forces holding us in bondage and to free us from them so that we could go out and freely serve God. So what's happening in this testing? Jesus' identity is getting the full court press. Just who is he? What will he be? What will he accomplish? This is the very start of his ministry. Would he step into the role of suffering servant? Or would he take advantage of his identity and his resources and try to rule the world by any means necessary? The tempter knew humanity and the frailty of the flesh. So now he wanted to test Jesus' identity by targeting his humanity at its weakest and his claim to the identity as the Son of God. There aren't really any new temptations, just new ways to succumbing to the age-old playbook. So the first temptation is self-gratification. Just as Jesus was tempted to serve himself by making bread, we are also tempted to fulfill our wants apart from God's will. The second, self-protection. Jesus was tempted to use his identity to test God for protection. Just as Israel was tested in the Old Testament and Jesus was tested in the New Testament, we are tempted to question God's presence and manipulate God's promises for our own benefit. And the third, self-exaltation. Jesus was tempted with all the things of this world, the successes, the accomplishments, the pleasures, the possessions. And the devil says, get them now if you just worship me. And many have fallen for far much less. He promised Adam and Eve that they would be like God if they just ate the fruit. And they failed the test and believed him. They ascribed worth to Satan and allowed him to manipulate God's word in that moment instead of trusting what God said and believing him. We are tempted to do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. We're tempted to assert ourselves in the world while we rob God of his glory and his worship. Instead of a simple, humble obedience to God, in our pride, we seek to attain things the way we want, the way we want to do them. Pride is at the root of all our rebellion. Jesus is the true son. He's not only the new man, but he's the true son. He's suffering through the particular Israelite story. There are some parallels between Matthew 4 and Genesis 3, but there are even more parallels between Jesus tempting and the testing of God's people out in the wilderness. 
in the Old Testament. When God commanded Pharaoh to let his people go, God told Moses this, Then you will say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. Notice that God refers to Israel as his son. And if you remember back uh, in Matthew 2.15, son language is also used connecting Jesus with Hosea 11.1 saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Both Jesus and Israel were tested in the wilderness. God's son Israel tested for 40 years, and God's son Jesus was tested for 40 days. These parallels to understanding Jesus' sonship is key to understanding the temptations coming from the devil. Notice how the first two temptations begin with the devil saying, if you really are the son of God, a clear reference back to what was said in Matthew 3.17, where God speaks and says, this is my beloved son with whom I take delight. The core temptation on Jesus' identity and to get him to sin was an assault on his sonship. And that same assault will take place against our identities as sons and daughters of God. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. He later goes on to say in chapter 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So how do we deal with the attacks coming to our identity? I've heard if you want to learn a new language, you don't just dabble with the textbook over here, maybe sprinkle a class in over here, do a little bit of Duolingo over here. If you really want to learn, you've got to immerse yourself into the culture, into the people, you have to immerse yourself into the hearing of that language and talking and writing it. And so with that in mind, here's just a couple of thoughts. Have you truly accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And are you trusting and obeying him? Have you been baptized? Yes, the physical immersion into water representing your death, burial, and resurrection into new life. But how about this? Have you truly immersed yourself into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Have you immersed yourself into God's Word so much that when the adversary says that the Bible says out of context, you're able to know the truth of that Scripture? Have you immersed yourself in prayer and sought God's will for your life over the temptations of this world and the glory of self? And have you immersed yourself in the mission to spread the good news about Jesus to others, to make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, immersing them in God's word and prayer, and then helping them to do the same. Second Timothy 
2.2 says this, and this is Paul, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So keeping with that baptism as immersion idea, we don't want to just sprinkle a little bit of religion over here, a little bit of Bible verses over here, a little bit of good works over here. We want to get fully immersed. We want to go all in with Jesus. In fact, that's the point today. Go all in with Jesus and your new creation identity. Go all in with Jesus and your new creation identity as sons and daughters of the King. Jesus stepped into the same story that Adam stepped into and that Israel stepped into. And Jesus stood firm where Israel fell and where Adam fell. And Jesus, in his uh, testing out in the wilderness, showed his utmost obedience to God the Father's plan and the kingdom mission. Jesus came to model the new way to be human, what it truly meant to embrace the fullness of what it was to be made in the image of God. God stepped into humanity to be the human we couldn't be, to die the death that we couldn't die as a sin offering and to be the first of the resurrected. And Jesus is inviting us into this new vision of humanity through his death, burial, and resurrection into new life through baptism. And we embrace this new identity in Christ. As Paul said, we put on Christ. It's a counterintuitive, upside-down way to be human, and Jesus is asking us to join him on his mission. The only question today is, will you? Let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful for Jesus, that he modeled the way for us, that through him we have uh, the sin offering that allows us to be back in relationship to you, that frees us from the dark spiritual forces. Lord, if anyone here is struggling with their identity in you, I just ask that you open up their heart and mind to you today, that they would know that you love them. Lord, thank you for everyone here. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.